0: Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of your smiling faces this morning from this point of view and to be back in the pulpit this week. However, I am thankful for my partner in crime, Mr. Ricardo Vargas, for his bold and faithful exposition last week of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, as he has set us up as a church perfectly. To conclude the first section of chapter 2 this morning, which really expands on the central theme or on the central verse of the text from last week, verse 5, which said, By grace you have been saved. Because as we saw last week in verses 1 through 3, it is not a pretty picture. It is not a pretty sight for those who are outside of Jesus Christ as they are described as individuals who are dead in sin, followers of the world, followers of the prince of the power of the air, following the spirit of the, at work in the sons of disobedient, living in the flesh and by nature they are children of wrath. But, as we see in verse 4, because of the mercy of God, Because of the love of God, He saved us. God saved us. He changed us. He redeemed us even when we were dead in sin, dead in trespasses by nature, children of wrath. God saved us. And how remarkable is that? That via God's grace, we are now Christians, alive in Christ, raised with Christ, seated with Christ, and given all the immeasurable riches and kindness in Jesus Christ. Think about it. It is literally the greatest rags-to-riches story that has ever been told. And speaking of rags-to-riches, I, of course, read a joke this week about a young boy named Davy. And he asked his wealthy grandfather, he said, Pap-Pap, how did you make so much money? And his pap, pap said, well, Davy, it was 1955, and I was down to my last five cents. So I went to the local market and invested that five cents into a large apple. And I spent the entire day polishing that apple. And at the end of the day, I sold it for ten cents. And then I went back to the grocery store the next morning and I bought two apples. And I polished those two apples all day long and I sold the two apples at the end of the day for 20 cents. And I continued this system for a month. And then Pap-Pap's father died and left him with $10 million. (laughs) But similarly, church, our Heavenly Father took his children when they were dead broke when they were morally bankrupt, and he gave them immeasurable, eternal riches. And how did our Heavenly Father do that for us? Leads us to our thesis this morning. The two main themes that we will be looking at in our sermon and in the text this morning. Our thesis statement this morning is this, Christian, you have been given the gift of eternal salvation by your Heavenly Father. Thus, our response should be one of good works dedicated to our Heavenly Father, who is the gift giver. Brother Christian, Sister Christian, you have been given the gift of eternal salvation by your Heavenly Father. Thus, our response should be one of good works dedicated to our Heavenly Father, who is the gift giver. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 2. We are in verses in verses 8 through 10, and I would highly recommend you following along in your Bible this morning, but if you do not have a Bible this morning, there is a church Bible in the chair in front of you, and the text of our passage today is found on page 976 in the church Bible in front of you, and I would highly recommend you following along this morning. Our text this morning, again, is Ephesians chapter 2. We are in verses 8 through 10. The Apostle Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this text this morning. We thank you for the beauty and the grandeur of all that it means. Father, we were dead in our sins and trespasses in the ways we once walked following after the course of this world. But you have given us grace, Lord. Unmerited favor. A gift of salvation. We are no longer dead in our sins, but we are now alive in Christ. New creations in Jesus Christ. Oh, that as new creations, there are an abundance of good works that come out of us that please you as our Heavenly Father, the ultimate gift giver. Open the eyes and the ears and soften the hearts of this dear flock, I pray. And Spirit, I pray for power. This morning, I pray for humility. I pray for clarity and truth. Let me be faithful to this text, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We will begin this morning with our first of two points. And point number one is this. It's rather simple. Christian, you have been given the gift of eternal salvation by your heavenly Father. Brother Christian, sister Christian. You have been given the gift of eternal salvation by your heavenly Father. We'll be looking at verses 8 and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, we see this morning an expansion Or, as scholars call it, Paul's commentary here on verse 5 from last week. Which was, by grace you have been saved. And we start here in verse 8 with a really similar text. Verse 8 begins, for by grace you have been saved. And grace is a word we use a lot within the realm of Christianity. It is a powerful word. But it is a word that must be and remain properly defined in our minds in order to keep it from losing its grandeur, to keep it from losing how magnificent and how beautiful this word is. The word here in verse 8, grace, it comes from the Greek word harati, which means a manner or an act of graciousness. It means a manner or an act of mercy, of steadfast love, of compassion, or of unmerited favor. Thus, as Paul considers the Christian's salvation and that it is God, as we have seen throughout the whole first chapter of Ephesians 1, it is God who has chosen, it is God who predestined, it is God who adopted, who forgave, who redeemed, who united, who sealed and guaranteed. It is Paul's only conclusion here that our salvation is a gift of unmerited favor. It is a gift of compassion by God and from God for His children. But please keep these words properly understood in your head throughout the sermon this morning. Salvation, church, it is our ultimate need. But our salvation, it is a grace. It is an unmerited gift given to us by God. And it is 100% not what we deserve. Salvation is a grace, it is a gift given to us by God. Think of it this way. A story printed in Moody Monthly noted that the Prince of Preachers, Dr. Charles Spurgeon himself, and another man named Joseph Parker, both pastored churches in London in the 19th century. On one occasion, Parker commented on the poor condition of the children in Spurgeon's orphanage. Thus, it was reported to Spurgeon that Parker had criticized the orphanage. Spurgeon blasted Parker the next week from the pulpit. The attack was printed in the newspapers and became became the talk of the town. So people flocked to Parker's church the next Sunday to hear his rebuttal. And he said, I understand Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit this morning. And this is the Sunday they take an offering for the orphanage. So I suggest we take a love offering here instead. The crowd was delighted. The ushers had to empty the collection plates three times. Later that week, there was a knock at Parker's study. It was Spurgeon. You know, Parker, Spurgeon said, You have practiced grace on me. You have given me not what I deserved. You have given me what I needed. Church, salvation is our ultimate need, now and forevermore. But it is certainly not what we, as depraved, we as unrighteous beings, deserve. Because of our sin, we deserve God's holy wrath. We deserve His holy judgment. We deserve His holy condemnation. Thus, logically, it can only be through the unmerited favor, only through the unmerited grace of God that this gift of salvation is given to us. We deserve God's holy wrath because of our sin. Thus, logically, it can only be through the unmerited grace and the unmerited favor of God that this gift of salvation has been given to us, brother Christian, sister Christian. And yet, how is this gift received? Verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. The gift of our forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, the gift of eternal salvation, the gift of all the blessing in the heavenly places that we receive as the adopted children of God. It is received through faith. It is received by trusting in the one Jesus Christ who paid the price for our sins, who paid the price of our redemption with his life. And since it is God who paid the price of our sins, it is certainly the call, it is certainly God's places is certainly God's authority to give the gift of redemption and salvation to his children as he chooses and faith then is the instrument that we as his children use to receive it God has paid the price for our salvation it is ultimately him who chooses who the gift is given to And faith is the instrument that we, as his children, use to receive it. As Dr. Thomas Constable pointed out, he said, just as a child puts out his hand to take a gift from his father, he, the child, did nothing to merit that gift. The father gets credit for the gift, not the child. Likewise, our faith, it is not a meritorious work. It is not a deserving work. And you may be sitting there this morning thinking, hmm, I know we are saved by grace alone and not grace plus works or grace plus merit, but being that faith is required for our salvation, being that faith is necessary for our salvation, how is that not a work? And it's a fair question. So I'll ask this question in response. What causes our salvation? What is the source of our salvation? Is it God's grace? Or is it your faith? Verse 5 says, By grace you have been saved. God's grace, church, it is the source. It is the reason. It is the cause of our salvation. And faith then, it is the product or it is what is produced in the lives of the Christian by God's grace. God's grace, it's the source, it's the reason, it is the cause of our salvation. And faith then is what is produced. It is the product in our life by God's grace when we receive His grace. Matthew Barrett, he used this analogy when asked the same question. He wrote, when you walk into a dark room, what comes first? The appearance of light or turning on the light switch? As we perceive things, they seem to happen simultaneously. However, does one cause and logically precede the other? Absolutely. We all know that turning on the light switch brings about brightness in the room. Not vice versa. The same is true in our salvation. Grace is what turns on, if you will, or produces our faith. Listen carefully, church, to think that we did anything that caused or that merited or led to or brought about our faith. It is a lie that plays right into the pride of man. Romans 4, 5 says that, and to the one who does not work, but who believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. The one who is saved is the one who does not trust in any of his own works. The one who is saved is the one who does not work to achieve salvation. The one who is saved is the one who by grace believes and trusts in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Thus, please, please, please do not even think for a second about robbing Christ of the glory that He is due for His work and His perfect life and His perfect death and His resurrection on the cross and try to mix it, even an ounce of it, even a breath of it with your legality or your works. Verse 8-9 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the Gift of God, not a result of works. And this, salvation, it is not your own doing. It is not a result of any of our works. If we try to add even an ounce of our legality, even an ounce of our works to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we lose the gospel completely. For by grace you have been saved. Donald Barnhouse noted that there are many examples in chemistry that show how the introduction of a second element will completely debase or transform a product. If a dime is placed in a bottle of hydrogen peroxide, the silver will react so quickly that a moment later, nothing will be left in the bottle but liquid, If you put even the smallest spark of fire into a barrel of gunpowder, you will explode the whole barrel. Terrible oil refinery fires have been caused by a single drop of perchloric acid coming into contact with some heated organic gasoline or kerosene. If salvation is by grace, then it is not by works. For as soon as there is a mixture of even the smallest percentage of works, grace is debased and is transformed into something that is horrible to consider. The whole idea of works is that man can provide a basis that will force God to give him some blessing as a just reward for his works. But as Barnhouse concludes, the whole idea of grace is that God acts toward man according to that which is to, found, to be found in his own divine nature of love. The two ideas are mutually exclusive and destroy each other when they're placed together. Our salvation is not a result of a lot of God's grace in some of our works. Our salvation is not a result of a lot of our works and some of God's grace or all of our work or none of God's grace. Our salvation is a result of God's supernatural grace in which He richly poured out on His children via the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is not a result of works. Verse 9, "...so that no one may boast." So what then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded, Romans 3.27 says. It is banned, it is barred, it is ostracized. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. Our response to our salvation is not boasting in our works, church, because we have no works. Our response is solely Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory in His work of saving His people into His kingdom for His glory. Glory! For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Thus, praise be to God alone for his work in saving his people into his kingdom for his glory. That is our only response as regenerate Christians. Which takes us now to point number two this morning. Point number two, since our Heavenly Father has given us the gift of eternal salvation, our response should be one of good works, dedicated to our Heavenly Father, who is the gift giver. Since our Heavenly Father has given us the gift of eternal salvation, our response should be one of good works, dedicated to our Heavenly Father, who is the gift giver. Verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 10 begins, For we are his workmanship. We, as in Christians, as born again, as regenerate Christians, we, it says, are his workmanship. Now this word workmanship communicates that we Christians, we are the handiwork of God. We are the pieces, like a piece of art. We are the pieces of the work of God. But, what is in view here is not our physical creation. It is not our physical being, like in Genesis 2. When man was created from the dust of the ground and God breathed into his nostrils and gave him life, but instead, we as God's children... We are new spiritual beings as Christians. We are regenerated. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All Christians have been created. They have been made. They have been formed. They have been saved. Not by their work, but they are the work. They are the handiwork. They are the workmanship of God Himself. Thus, all Christians have be created in Christ Jesus, saved by Christ Jesus, redeemed by Christ Jesus, and in verse 10 it says, We have been created for good works. And you're sitting there thinking, Wes, you just gave us a 20 minute lesson on how we're saved by grace and not by works, and now you're telling us that we have been created for good works. What gives? And it is a fair critique again. So here is the relationship between grace, God's grace, and our good works. Grace, God's grace, as I mentioned earlier, it is the cause. It is the reason. It is the root of our salvation. Good works from the Christian, though, they are the evidences. They are the proofs. They are the fruit of our salvation. You see, here is one of the many beautiful things about the sovereignty of our God. I have repeated over and over and over again the work of God in our salvation. That he has chosen us, predestined us, adopted us. God has literally done everything for us. But just as he chose us before the creation of the world, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared beforehand work for us to do as his new creations. He has literally mapped out work for us to do. And he has gifted us. He has given us the skills and proficiencies needed to walk and to do those good works, which he prepared for us so we can bring glory to his name. Think about that for a second. God, the creator of all things, has literally mapped out good works that we can walk in, that we can do, that he has prepared for us, that bring glory to his name. And I have heard this so often. Well, Wes, I'd I'd love to evangelize more, but I just haven't been given the opportunity. Or I'd love to love the poor more, but I just, God has not opened up that opportunity for me yet. Or I'd love to pray and to read my Bible more, but I'm just too busy, and I just don't have the opportunity yet. Church, every moment, every breath, every millisecond of our day is an opportunity to walk in the good works of God. Do not fall into the trap of thinking there is no good work for you to do because God has already prepared those works for you. Reverend George Barlow says that there is not a moment without duty. Every or each one of us has a vineyard. Let him see that he tells it and not say, no man hath hired me. Because I am here to share that if you are the workmanship of God, that if you are a new creation in Christ, that God has hired you for works that bring glory to his name and that display to the world, brother Christian, sister Christian, that you are his. Church, listen carefully. No matter what in this world, man, they will walk. They either walk this way or they either walk that way. And as we saw last week in Ephesians chapter, or chapter 2, verse 2, it says that we were dead in our sins, in our trespasses. We followed after the course of the world. We walked this way. But now, as new creations in Jesus Christ, as God's handiwork, we are no longer dead in our sin, but we are alive in Christ. We still walk but now we walk that way. We walk in the works our Creator has prepared for us and equipped us to walk in. Thus, in whatever you do, every millisecond, every breath of your life, there is an opportunity for you, brother Christian, sister Christian, for good works. Colossians 3 says, So work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as a reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Be bold church and walk in the good works of the Lord in which our sovereign God has already prepared for you to walk in. Be bold, church. By God's grace, walk in those works and glorify your heavenly Father's most holy name. Be bold, church. And by God's grace, walk in those works to glorify your heavenly father's most holy name the one who has already prepared those works for you to do as new creations as we begin to close this morning i will start first with the non-christian who was here first non-christian first off thank you for coming this morning It is a pleasure to have you and to worship with you this morning. And I hope you have heard me note that we as humans, we are all walking. We are all journeying toward something in this life. And we can either walk in the sins and in the lust of this world, which leads to eternal death, Or we can walk by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which leads to eternal life. And you may be sitting there this morning wondering, well, how is this possible? Because my love for the world, it is so great. My love for gambling or for alcohol or for money or for for, uh, followers on social media, whatever it is, how can I just stop loving the world? How is that even possible? Titus 2.14 says that Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That is how it is possible. The love of Jesus Christ makes it possible. Titus 2 it says Jesus Christ gave himself for us that God in the flesh Jesus Christ came into this world and died for the redemption of his people to redeem us from lawlessness Jesus Christ, he paid the price for our sin. He bore the wrath that we deserve for our sin. Jesus Christ, he took our place and our punishment for us in our place. And why did he do that? It says to purify a people for his own possession non-Christian, even though our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, even though he was crushed, even though he was crucified and was buried, three days later, he rose from the grave to display to the world that sin and death, that they had been defeated, to showcase that he truly was God, to showcase that he was sinless, and he was raised offering new life, offering eternal life, offering perfect, glorified life to all who believe. Thus, through faith, he makes his children new creations, no longer zealous for the things of the world, but zealous for good works. Thus, let today be the day non-Christian, that you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin. The only one who paid the price of your sin and through His resurrection can reconcile you back to God through eternity. And I can promise you, you will walk in the light of your God now and forevermore. Non-Christian, let today be the day that you repent of your sins and you turn to Jesus Christ and Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sins and reconcile you back to God. And to the Christian that is here this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, we have been saved by grace. We have been saved by the unmerited gift of God who accomplished for us the work that we never could accomplish ourselves. And this work, this accomplishment, it required Jesus Christ and his blood. It required Jesus Christ and his life. Thus, this is not a cheap grace It is not a cheap gift that we have been given. No, it is the most costly, it is the most valuable, it is the most precious gift that we could ever receive. Thus, as children of God, as individuals who have received this gift and received this grace, let us not become casual about this gift. Galatians 5.6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. All that matters is faith expressed by love. For in Christ Jesus, all that matters is faith expressed by love. Brother Christian, sister Christian, are we expressing, are we sharing, are we displaying our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by our overflowing love to each other and our good works? true gospel-saving faith. It is trusting in God's grace displayed in and through of the work of Jesus Christ, which causes us to be new creations, creations who are eager and yearning to walk in the good works that our God has prepared for us to do. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body have been saved by grace through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we devote ourselves to the good works that God has prepared for us as new creations to walk in. Church, we are no longer slaves to sin, forced to walk in the ways of this world, but we are God's children. Let us as a church body walk in the light, walk in God's statutes, and walk in his truth. And in the words of the reformers, they said it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies. It can never be alone. God, let our faith be accompanied countlessly by our good works. In the face of a growing secular world, let our lights and good works display your glory to all who doubt you, God, to all who blaspheme you, to all who don't know you. Father, we know you and we know that for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in your sight. Therefore, you did the saving work for us. Thus, let us not be a people who want to arrogantly say that we have been saved and have faith apart from our works. But let us be a people who humbly and boldly and unashamedly display our faith in the grace that you, God, have given us by our good works, in which our sovereign God has perfectly prepared for his people, for his glory. Let the fruit of our lives be good works, Father, that please you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us as a church body to wrap our minds around the unmerited gift, the unmerited favor, the grace that you have given us. Lord, nothing that we can do on this world could ever save us. It only brings more and more judgment upon us, and yet you came into this world and saved us. You gave us the gift of salvation. Father, we are new creations in Christ. The same grace that rose Jesus Christ from the grave, the same power that rose him from the grave, it is alive in us as new creations. Father, help us to continue to turn from our evil ways, turn from our lust, and in every moment of our lives, devote ourselves to glorifying you. Father, you are worth it. Help us see the weight, the worth, and the grace of the gift that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. It is the practice here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church to partake in the Lord's Supper once a month. Communion or the Lord's Supper, it is a time that we as a church body, number one, testify our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ to each other. It's a time that we as a body get to preach the gospel to each other. It is also a time that we remember the perfect life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And as I have been lovingly reminded, and I want to be sure to focus on this morning, communion is a time that we celebrate that by faith in Jesus Christ, our salvation is secure and that Christ will return again for his church. John chapter 14, 3 says, Jesus Christ said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And church, that is worth celebrating this morning. We here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church practice what is called open communion. Thus, we invite all believers of the gospel of Jesus Christ to partake in the Lord's Supper this morning. So if you are walking in fellowship with God and with other believers, you are welcome to the table. However, we would ask you to abstain this morning if you are an unbeliever. Again, to the unbeliever that is here, welcome this morning. We are so glad to have you. And I pray that via the preaching of God's word and that in hearing the gospel today would be the day that you come to faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have any questions about the gospel or, or as of Jesus Christ being the only means of salvation, please see me after the service. I will be at the back door. And I would love to chat. But if you are an unbeliever this morning, we would ask you to abstain from the Lord's table. We would also ask you to abstain if you are a believer, but if at this time you are holding fast to a known sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 and 28 says that we are not to take communion in an unworthy manner. And as Christians, we must examine ourselves before taking part in the Lord's Supper. Thus, if you this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, are walking in unrepentant sin, we ask you to confess and seek forgiveness of your sin before partaking in communion with us. At this-